This podcast has been produced as an educational resource for health professionals. It is recommended that people with concerns about their vision and eye health seek care from an appropriate health professional to support accurate diagnosis and management of any conditions. Welcome to the Optometry Australia Institute of Excellence podcast. We are committed to offer you quality, personalised education via a range of media, and every episode of this podcast will be worth CPD hours. Your host is Optometry Australia's Professional Development Manager, Simon Hanna. In each episode, Simon will be joined by a variety of interesting guests to discuss an array of appealing topics. Enjoy this episode of the podcast. Welcome to another Institute podcast episode brought to you today by Optometry Australia's Institute of Excellence. Optometry Australia are excited to bring you this channel of shorter CPD modules on varying themes and topics. My name is Simon Hanna, Professional Development Manager at Optometry Australia, and I'll be your host today. Today, we're really pleased to have Associate Professor Lauren Ayton with us discussing the latest in AMD research. Uh, Lauren is a clinical scientist and she's interested in retinal disease, working both out of the University of Melbourne and the Centre for Eye Research Australia. Thanks for joining us today, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me, Simon. All righty. So before we begin, um, maybe you can just take us on a little bit of a journey and tell us about sort of, you know, your kind of current work setting and sort of how you got involved in research. Yeah, sure. So look, um, I always tell people I love my job um, and it's very true. I'm, I'm very, very lucky to got to get where I've got to, I guess. Um, so I'm an optometrist. So I did my optometry training at the University of Melbourne and I actually started working at the Australian College of Optometry and I still remember starting to work and having all of these questions about what, what I was doing and having a chat to Tim Frick, who most of our listeners will know. Um, and he really very much said that, you know, when you've got those sort of questions that, you know, potentially a career in research is, is a good option. So um, I was very lucky to, to do my PhD supervised by him um, and Associate Professor Larry Abel and Professor Neville McBrien. And I looked at eye movements in children in my PhD. And then I went in to do a postdoc in uh, traumatic brain injury. And that was also looking at, at eye movements. And yeah, I'm still staying in kids. And from there, I got very interested in how we measure vision loss and um, you know, low vision. And so that actually led to a position with the Bionic Eye Project, which was being run at the time through the Centre for Eye Research Australia. Yep. And so I worked for there for about eight years and then headed over to the US to work in industry for a couple of years. And I've been back in Australia since 2019 and now have a team which is uh, doing research focused on retinal disease and ways that we can improve vision for people who have become blind or lost sight from retinal diseases. And that includes things like gene therapy, bionic eye um, and other sort of low vision aids. Wow so you've come sort of you know full circle from pediatrics all the way through to kind of the gene therapy now so you did mention that you spent some time in the use can you maybe just share with our listeners I guess sort of what you were doing there? Yeah it was, that was a great experience so I um I have worked for a number of years with a professor from Harvard University who's the head of neuro-ophthalmology and we've worked for a number of years on Bionic Eye and related projects. And he actually started a company um, which was a startup from Harvard and Cornell. And it was based in Ithaca, in up in the um, the northeast of the universe of sorry, United States. 
And so, yeah, my family moved across there for a couple of years and I was the director of clinical and regulatory affairs for that startup company. So it was a fantastic experience. So it was very much, you know, um, yeah. the life of a startup. So, you know, doing everything, so meeting with investors and doing regulatory paperwork and engineering and all sorts of things. Um, wow. And it okay. Was, it, different. it was lots of fun. Yeah, no, that's cool. And so... Um, you, as, as I said, you sort of, it sounds like you've kind of come full circle. You were interested in obviously eye movements and paediatrics and children's vision and those sorts of things. Obviously inspired by, you know, Tim Fricke, who's obviously a, very well known in the paediatric space. And you've kind of now landed in this sort of gene therapy, AMD space and sort of, you know, did that kind of happen, I guess? And was there something that sort of led you to pursue that area or was that just sort of by accident that you sort of fell into that space? Yeah, a bit, a bit of both, I would say. So um, when I started working on the Barnick Eye Project, the clinical team um, was led by Professor Robin Geimer. And so uh, Robin is obviously an absolute world expert in AMD. She's consistently in the top five ranked um, around the globe in that field. And so the Barnick Eye device is a, a vision restoration device, which at the moment is for patients that have inherited retinal disease. So things like retinitis pigmentosa. But there is the potential that that implant could be used for patients with AMD. So when I started working on that project, I obviously began learning more about AMD. And since that time, I've been very lucky to collaborate with Robin on a number of AMD projects. Um, and she is very passionate about getting optometry involved in a lot of these projects because obviously early AMD um, is a real hotspot now for innovation. Yeah, no, no, and and you're right. We we've done a bit of work um, with Robin Geimer. We know how passionate she is and how supportive she is of, of our role as optometrists in the space as well. Um, I guess while we're talking about sort of what's coming up, what is the most exciting thing in AMD research? Can you tell our listeners sort of what's 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 new and exciting? For me, I think it's it's kind of the the two ends of the spectrum for me. So I'm really excited about early AMD, and I'm really excited about late AMD. So in the early sphere, there's a lot of changes now in terms of diagnosing people with earlier stages of AMD. So that's obviously using imaging like um, optical coherence tomography and infrared imaging and autofluorescence and basically identifying biomarkers that show us which patients with early disease are at higher risk. So most of the listeners will probably now have heard of reticular pseudodrusin, which is a um, a clinical phenotype in the retina which shows you a patient with AMD that's at a higher risk of, of losing vision down the track. Um, so that side of it's very interesting to me. You know, how do we identify people at risk? How do we monitor them? And then the other end of the spectrum is, is the patients with late disease. And we work a lot now with patients who have geographic atrophy. And so most of our listeners will be aware that up until now, you know, there's no treatments for GA and unfortunately it's really just low vision management. Um, that's rapidly changing. So there's now gene therapy treatments that are coming up for geographic atrophy. There's different pharmaceuticals that are being tested. And so all of a sudden um, there's great demand for people that have GA to get involved in research and clinical trials. So I think it's... Um, 
AMD is a disease where there's so much happening in the research space and it's really a great opportunity for, for people to get involved in it. Yeah, certainly. And it's uh, it's certainly one of those areas where we kind of need to watch this space and see what's coming. Um, you did mention gene therapy, and I'm wondering, is that currently sort of commercially available for AMD? Um, and for, you know, is, is that something that's, where, where are we at with that? So not not for AMD yet. So there is um, gene therapy clinical trials are happening around the world for both neovascular AMD and for atrophic AMD, but there's no you know regulatory approved commercial gene therapy for AMD yet. There is one gene therapy that has been approved. So that was approved in August last year in Australia. And that's a treatment called Luxterna. So that's for an inherited retinal disease called labor congenital amaurosis. So that's a form of RP. It's a very small population of patients. So it's about 2% of people that have RP have the particular gene that Luxterna can treat. But um, it's an amazing advance because it's the first time that, you know, an in vivo gene therapy has been approved for an eye disease. So AMD is a little bit trickier. So with, with Luxterna, it's just correcting one gene mutation. So it's quite straightforward in terms of how it works. AMD, as we well know, isn't that simple. It's not caused just by one gene. So it's, there's multiple genes involved. Uh, and so the gene therapies have to be a little bit more complicated. And that's why it'll be a little bit longer until we actually have commercial AMD gene therapies available. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And if you want a little bit more information on that, I think, Lauren, you went a little bit of that in our Q&A during the, um, the webcast earlier this year. So um, right. certainly we've, we, um, we, we've covered that with Lauren um, in, previous, uh, in previous discussions. Uh, Lauren, you were talking a little bit about the fact that in the early stages of AMD, um, obviously the role that optometrists play in imaging and OCT and most practices have um, those sorts of things. Now, I mean, there's a lot of research, I guess, that's gone into sort of, um, you know, I guess the role that these, you know, imaging and diagnostic equipment plays in AMD. Do you think that every patient with AMD should be having some sort of multimodal imaging um, as part of their worker? Yeah, this is an interesting discussion. I often debate this with with people. Um, So I personally think that we do. I think that we've now got to the stage of optometry where we really do need to have this multimodal imaging to really be able to care with patients with AMD. And the reason for that is a lot of these biomarkers for early disease, you just can't see clinically. So an example is um, something that's called nascent geographic atrophy. So these are changes in the retina that happen before you can actually see atrophy on your clinical exam. You can see them through OCT, though. So if you do an OCT scan, you can actually pick up patients that are at this intermediate stage um, and are at more risk of vision loss. The reason that that's so important is because as all these new treatments come out, we're going to start targeting people with high-risk phenotypes. And so it's really important that we can start to identify those. Um, I guess the caveat with that and what I am very aware of is that, you know, a lot of clinics, uh, it's a financial issue to, to be able to buy a lot of this equipment. And so I'd always, you know, remind optometrists that you don't have to do that yourself. So it might be that you decide you need to refer to a colleague to get some of that imaging done. But um, you will really be amazed at the extra information you can get about the retina in a patient with AMD if you do the full gamut of imaging. Yeah, and for certainly for those practitioners that are looking to get into the space, they need to obviously know what, what they need and how, how they're going to set themselves up. Yes. Um, I mean, just, I guess, taking a step back and looking at your work in, in terms of the research, the clinical trials that are out there, 
Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about sort of what types of patients they should be kind of flagging or earmarking for um, referral for research and clinical trials? Yeah, for sure. So in terms of the AMD patients, uh, again, it's a really interesting time now because actually every single patient with AMD is of research interest now. Um, So definitely people with early disease, there's a lot of interest in trying to find these biomarkers and high-risk phenotypes. And as I mentioned before, patients with geographic atrophy are actually really um, desired at the moment for clinical trials. So if you have a patient with AMD really of any stage um, and they're interested in research, please do send them to to your nearest clinical trial institute. Um, They'll definitely be welcome. Um, But I guess in terms of more general things, what we definitely find is um, it's the personality of the people, you know, so it's very much patients that are altruistic, that are interested in being involved in research to ben- benefit not just themselves, but, you know, their, their children and grandchildren. They yeah. are definitely the types of people which do very well in trials. Yeah, okay. So good, good to, I guess, identify those ones that might be sort of more beneficial to the trials. Yeah. Um, looking at, I guess, I guess the future of optometry and Optometry Australia are very big on sort of, you know, the Optometry 2040 kind of look at things and 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 I guess we want to we're always kind of looking to see where, where we're going to be heading in the next in the next phase of the profession um what role do you see optometrists playing sort of in their practical clinical settings say in the next 10 years or so with regards to AMD care yeah for sure so again um I think it's really about this early end of the disease spectrum where optometry is going to play a huge role so Obviously, patients that are first diagnosed with early AMD or those that just have early or intermediate disease are are managed by optometry. So I think it's incredibly important that we are all upskilled and we're up to date with what the research findings are for those people and possible interventions. Um, So an example of that would be the LEAD nanosecond later trial that Professor Gaiman and her team ran at, at CIRA. Um, And so that was a trial looking at using a preventative laser for patients with the earliest stages of disease. And that study really um, raised the fact that patients that have that early disease aren't seen in tertiary hospitals. And so optometry very much is important in making sure that these patients get involved in the research. Um, I think that as it goes forward, there are going to be more and more interventions and treatments available. So, for example, things like gene therapy, uh, you know, after a patient has a gene therapy treatment, they'll obviously need to be managed for the rest of their life and and reviewed. And so I do think that optometry is going to play a role in, in, you know, long-term care of patients that have some of these new exciting treatments. Um, But the other flip side of that, obviously, is our roles in terms of things like dietary advice and environmental modifications that isn't going to change and is incredibly important. You know, we talk a lot now about these exciting new things like gene therapy and bionic eyes, but smoking is still the most important risk factor for AMD. So that's really what we need to be talking to our patients about as well. They shouldn't be understated, I guess, these things that we we speak to our patients about even now and that those things are going to continue on. Um, Hopefully hopefully smoking is one of those things that we shouldn't be talking about in 10 years' time. Fingers crossed. um, Who knows? Look, Lauren, you, you have been very um, generous with your time, but we're going to ask you one more question um, for the young listeners out there. Um, you, as you say, you're, not, you're obviously very notable now as a researcher and a, and a clinical scientist, but you were a practicing optometrist when you first started. What can you tell the young optometrists that are listening who are sort of keen on research would like to kind of, you know, 
you know, look at the path that you took and are inspired by it? It's really a very exciting time, I think, for optometrists that want to get involved in research because the field is changing a little bit. So it used to be quite, you know, if you wanted to go down a research pathway, you had to get a PhD and it was sort of that very academic path. I think the borders are getting a little bit blurred now. So there are opportunities for uh, optometrists that are working in practices in the community. If they want to get involved in research, there's actually avenues for that as well. So that's one thing to keep in mind. It's not a you know, one thing or the other, there might be ways to have both in your in your career. Um, but obviously, if you're interested in, in doing research in a more um, significant way, then there's the pathways such as, you know, masters and PhDs and getting involved, yeah, in clinical research groups. Um, what you will find is all of the optometrists that are involved in research are always very happy to talk to people who <laughs> think this might be an option for them. So please, yeah. you know, if anyone is interested, I'm always happy to have a chat. And, and I can attest to that that Lauren is always very generous with her time. So um, uh, and evident by today's episode as well. So thank you again, Lauren. We do really appreciate the time and really sharing the exciting future and what what's coming and, and, and inspiring us as you always do so thank you again for joining us thank you so much simon always great to chat Alrighty. thanks lauren so for everyone listening we do look forward to bringing you more institute podcasts on a monthly basis through the institute of excellence to listen to other episodes go to lms.optometry.org.au um, these will all be worth cpd hours thanks everyone for your time and stay tuned until next time Thanks for tuning in to Optometry Australia's Institute of Excellence podcast. Don't forget to navigate to your CPD learning plan on optometry.org.au to write a reflection on this episode. To find more podcast episodes, visit the Institute of Excellence online at lms.optometry.org.au. We welcome your feedback on this episode and any subject matter suggestions for future podcast episodes. Please send your feedback and suggestions to national at optometry.org.au. Stay tuned for more in the weeks to come.